0: Actually, it's June. Welcome to June. You know, June is, is uh, if you grew up in Wisconsin, June is what? It's dairy month, for well, sure. It's June is dairy month, so if you see a dairy farmer, give him a hug. And uh, <laughs> where's Hank? <laughs> we got Hank's Papa and mama back there, and they like hugs, I believe, so uh, no, it's, uh, it's dairy month, but you know, it's also, uh, it's also wedding month. You know, uh, when we look at the calendar, most weddings. Uh, the, one of the most popular months for weddings is June. Uh, people like the the late spring, and and uh, they get married. You know, with weddings come so many decisions that need to be made. Um, the planning is just. I don't know if I'd say horrendous, but it's uh, <laughs> it's extensive. Uh, you know, the colors and the which flowers and and the dresses, and the food, and the, the reception, and all of these things. Right, Dan, Valerie? You're kind of in that planning mode right now. And, and uh, you know, one of the things that is part of a wedding process is you go to the courthouse, and you fill out the paperwork to get your marriage license. And one of the questions on there is, whose last name will you take? This is speaking generally to the, to the woman. And, and so there's a, there's a name change involved. And so the bride needs to decide if she's going to take the husband's name. And in our culture here in the U.S., uh, statistics say about 90% of, of women who get married take their, their husband's uh, last name. And And this practice started about 1,200 years ago in England. It didn't always exist. Uh, when a woman married a man, she would take his last name, and they were viewed as, as one, one entity within the eyes of the law. And... And legally, they were, they were considered as one. And the wife was, in a sense, covered by the, the, the husband. And his identity replaced her maiden name. So, like Trudy, my wife, she used to be a Davis. Okay, so when, when we got married, she took the weed name and, she, and it, was replaced, uh, it replaced the Davis name. She said goodbye to that Davis name. And so we went to the altar. Her identity as a Davis... Changed, and from that day forward, she's been living the dream. <laughs> Wait a minute now. I'm serious. Uh, where is she? oh she's not here. Um, but you know, our name, our name is our identity, and it was one of the very first things that we wrote when we learned how to write, is our name, and this whole idea of of changing names didn't originate in England though 1,200 years ago. You see, according to the Bible, the Bible records names getting changed 4,000 years ago. And it wasn't at the at the altar when somebody was getting married. It wasn't. It was because people were having an encounter with God. When they had a life-changing encounter with God, God Himself was the one establishing the new name. and. When God changed somebody's name, we could, we could be assured that, that God had something big on their horizon, that something was coming down the pike for them, that, that something very significant, something that their old identity would simply be inconsistent with, with what God had in store for them. And, and, and God wanted to accomplish so much through people, and I'm convinced that God is still wanting to accomplish so much in our generation through his people through his people who are, who are going to uh, have a, a name-changing encounter with him. How many of y'all would like a name-changing encounter with the Spirit of God? A name-changing encounter where, where everything changes, our identity, and, and, and the whole works. And, and, and we're going to look this morning briefly at three different individuals in the Scriptures where they had their identity changed, their name changed, and it's interesting that I was just talking to somebody this week, and they said, you know, one of the things that I don't quite understand about the Bible is, is all those name changes. And it's like, wow, it's funny that you asked that. You stick around a few days, and you're gonna, we're going to talk about these things. so uh, three different people that, that had encounters with God, and I believe that God wants to have an encounter, a life-changing, name-changing encounter with each and every one of us this morning. And so the first one I'd like to look at this morning is in Genesis chapter 12 with a man named Abram. Abram Abram was one of three sons born to a, a man named Terah. And in this culture, uh, having children was seen as something of divine favor with God. And so having children was very important. And we can imagine the, the excitement when Abram was born, and his parents looked at this little guy and, and, they, and they wanted to name him. And they named him Abram. Now, we don't know if Abram was a common name or if that was an unusual name. But one thing we do know is that Abram certainly didn't live up to his name. You see, Abram means father. Uh, Some uh, scholars would say that it means a father of many, or or an exalted father, or a high father. So it's possible that his dad had big expectations of him, naming this baby Father, thinking that, man, something great is going to come from this man, and, and his name was Father, but Abraham got married... And she couldn't get pregnant, his wife. So, so they're not having any kids. So here you got this childlet, childless man who's married, and they've got no kids, and his name means father. That's like naming your kids Speedy, right? And they're like the slowest kid on the block. Or the, or the baby's born, and they say, let's name this one genius. But then they end up having an IQ of like a houseplant or something like that. And it's like, well, what's the deal here? In other words, Abram didn't live up to his parents' expectations. You know, we don't know if he was mocked or teased. It's possible. But God saw something in Abram that others didn't see. You see, although Abram didn't have children, he had a childlike faith. And he had a heart that that was moldable and was shapeable by God. And he had a longing in his heart, a desire for fulfillment. And Abram lived in a country where there was a lot of idol worship, a lot of idolatry in his culture, yet it seemed as though he knew these idols were counterfeits, and and he didn't engage in those things. And, And at the age of 75, he had a divine visitation that changed his future forever. According to Genesis chapter 12, and verse 1, it says, The Lord came to Abram, and he said to him, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and, and Lot, that would be his nephew, he went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So, friends, somehow Abram knew that God was directing his steps, and and he was inviting him to a whole new way of life, a way of of trusting God, one way that was filled with amazing promises. And God was saying, come on, I I have these promises for you. And the Word of God says that, that he responded. And maybe you can look back at your life and you could say, you know, there was a point in my life where I knew that God was inviting me to, to, to leave my past and step into his promises. And maybe you remember that first time, that encounter that you had with God, and it was a big step of faith, but you trusted God, and you said, I'm going to take him at his word, and, and I'm going to leave my past behind, I'm going to leave what's familiar, I'm going to leave my traditions, I'm, gonna, I'm ready to just do whatever God has in store for me. It's a big step of faith. Now, Abram was 75 years old at the time, and yet he said, I'm all in. And some of you have said, I'm all in, just weeks ago, when you found out about Jesus and his plan for us and and his provision for us and, and, and that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father except through Him. And, and so some of you have recently said, Jesus, be mine. I'm going to take you at your word. And others of you, it was months ago or years ago or decades ago. Where you just said, I, I, I'm all in. And you filled my, my ear with promises and my heart with hope. And, and I'm going to take you at your word. And this is what took place with Abram. And that started in, in Genesis 11 and into 12. And, and the next several chapters of Genesis in 12 through 16, we see that... the the life of Abram as he awaits for these promises of God to take pass, or to come to pass, I should say. So he leaves his country, and he's like, okay, God, you promised me this, 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 and this. And now now he's waiting, but it was during those years that he faced some incredible difficulties and challenges. How many of you know just because you put your trust in the Word of God, it doesn't mean that everything in your life is going to go the way you think it should? Anybody ever realize that? It's like, Lord, I'm trusting you, but boy, I'm telling you what your word says and my reality seem like they're two different things. And this is the case with him. And, and Abram certainly had his challenges when he gets to this land that God directed him to. A famine came in the land. And he's like, really, God? You know, I walked away from this and now there's a famine. And so he has this hardship and he made some very poor choices. He put his wife in danger to protect his own skin. He lied about who he was. He lied about his wife. He struggled with insecurity. He had to deal with conflict in his family. And yet during this time, he still had a heart for God. He tithed. He gave a tenth of his increase, a tenth of his provisions. He said, I just want to give this back. He was a man of generosity. He was full of compassion, but he still wasn't seeing these, these promises of God come to fruition in his life. It's almost like he was just going through the motions year after year, wondering if everything would really, truly change. How many of you have ever been in that type of a situation where you trusted God, you took him at his word, and everything didn't just change? But you're following his word, and you're you're plugging along, and you're plugging along, and you're saying, God, when's the fulfillment of this word going to come to pass in my life? We've all been down that road, haven't we? And maybe you're in that position right now where you've been waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. And maybe you, you come to a church service or, and you say, maybe this is it. Maybe God's going to bring some sort of revelation or breakthrough. And, and God gave Abram another revelation, a breakthrough in his walk. It says in Genesis 15, it, it records God connecting with Abram in a very powerful way. And, and he restated that he would be true to his word and he actually made a covenant with Abram that he would have many descendants. And it says in verse 6 of Genesis 15, it says, and, and he, meaning Abram, he believed in the Lord, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Okay, so, so we look at, at, at great heroes of the faith. We look at Abraham and he said, well, clearly God showed him extra favor. Well, it says right here that he believed in the Lord and it was accounted as righteousness. And you see, friends, that's how we become righteous with God. We become in right standing because we we hear the word of the Lord and we put our faith in it and our trust in the the living word. So God's plan has never changed. His methodology has but this visitation between God and Abram reminds me of special times when God steps into our moments of waiting for his promises to be fulfilled. You see, maybe you come to a service and it's like you have a, just an amazing time and you're sensing the presence of God. Maybe you come to the altar. Maybe you hear a message and it just, man, it just hits right into your heart. Maybe you go to a conference or, or, or there's some special gathering and you say, wow, that was, that was amazing. The goodness of God, the grace of God, the presence of God was just so powerful. And it was like you got a shot in the arm of God's goodness and His grace. And, and yet sometimes these wonderful and encouraging times seem like they're short-lived, though. You see, this is what was going on with Abram. He got this renewed hope. God said, I'm going to do something big through you. But then the the clock kept ticking. And so Abraham was in right standing with God, and yet there was still something missing. And again, when you read the account, you read that he was not a perfect man in his actions. He still made some some poor decisions that resulted in long-lasting consequences. But then comes Genesis chapter 17. And this is when things really begin to shift for Abram. It says in Genesis 17 in verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old, so now it's 24 years later, The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. Okay, so he has this visitation from God. The Lord revealed himself to Abram as Almighty God. When you look in the original Hebrew of the the Word of God, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. When he said Almighty God, it's Hebrew for El Shaddai. He said, I am El Shaddai, which means I am the all-sufficient one. Everything you need is in me. There is no lack in me. This is what God was relaying to him. And God was saying, "In in me there is everything for life. There is strength, there is power, there is provision, there is nourishment. Everything you need is in me. And, Abram, you and I are in covenant relationship, which means when you have a need, you can tap into our relationship as being in covenant, and I'm going to meet every one of your needs. Because I am the all-sufficient one, and we're in covenant relationship, And, and because of this, in light of this, walk before me and be blameless. That word blameless means whole. It means complete. It means sound. Okay, he said, so in light of the fact that I have everything, and we are in relationship by covenant, you should be able to walk before me whole and sound and not scattered, not broken, not tormented, but whole. And you see, friends, God wants us walking the same way today, does he not? He is the all-sufficient one. He is El Shaddai. We are in covenant relationship with him because of Jesus Christ. When we're in Christ, Christ the, God the Father, God the Son have this covenant relationship, and we are in Christ. So we get to tap into these benefits. And so this is how God introduces himself or presents himself, reveals himself to Abram. And verse 2, he goes on to say in chapter 17, this is the Lord speaking. He said, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. And then Abram fell on his face. In other words, he was just in awe of God. And God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And so God is saying, I'm going to change your name from father, or father of many, to father of many nations. This was huge. He's like, he doesn't have a son yet. He doesn't have this promised son. And God said, you know what? Let's just scratch that other one about you being a leader of a nation. I'm going to make you the leader of many nations. In other words, Abraham, you're going global. Things are going to change in in, in your life. And Abraham, I am going to do more through you than you've ever dreamed. But it's going to be as you walk before me in wholeness, in completeness, tapping into that covenant relationship that we have. And so here we have Abraham, this person who trusted the word of God for many years prior, still not seeing the promises of God come to fruition. And yet now God says, not only am I going to be true to my word, but I'm going to expand the promises. I'm going to just blow them out of the water, Abraham, and I'm going to take you under my covering and change your name to fit what I'm about to do in your life. But the Lord was saying, but Abraham, I don't want you to identify with yourself according to who you were, but according to who I say you are. You see, there's, there's something I want to do in you. And friends, I, I have to wonder how many of us here today have walked with God for a while, and we have believed his word. And, and there's an area of our lives where we, we've stood on, and we stood on his promises, and yet they haven't come to pass in our life the way we had hoped. And we're, we're standing on His Word, and, and might God wanting to be change our name from just hoping to expecting? Might He want to be changing our name from, from just waiting to walking? Or from doubting to anticipating? Or from, from questioning to thanking Him? You see, perhaps you've been standing on the promises of God in a certain area of your life, but it just doesn't seem to be coming to fruition and friends, I just want to say God has not forgotten. God has not forgotten. Amen. Do we really do we believe that he is true to his word? Do we believe that what he said will come to pass? You see, Abraham believed. You see that the fact is God wanted to do more through Abram than he was even expecting and it's the same with us. You see, if we can figure out God's plan, God's big plan, we're, we're, we're not being true to ourselves. we just have a little sliver of it. He has so much he has so much more and friends, this comes as we get a greater revelation of who God is because once we get a revelation of who God is, we will discover who we are. but it has to come in that order. We can't find ourselves outside of understanding and getting a revelation of God. Amen? It, it comes in that order. Now the second the second name change to, to took, that took place that I'd like to look at is Abraham's grandson, Jacob. So Abraham had a son with his wife, Sarah, and they named him Isaac. And then Isaac got married to a woman named Rebekah. And Rebekah had twins. She was carrying twins in her. And these twins were named Esau and Jacob. And while she was pregnant, it says in Genesis chapter 25, in verse 22... It says, but the children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? In other words, the kids are fighting before they even get out of the womb. You know you're in it for a rough road, right? They're already duking it out. But it goes on to say, so she went to, in, to inquire of the Lord. It must have been pretty, pretty uh, bothering of her. And so it says, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body, one People shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And so when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. They had red hair. And he was like a hairy garment all over. Some translations actually say like, like he was, had a fur coat. <laughs> so his name was called Esau. Esau means hairy. It does. I'm, I don't make these things up. So he comes out, he's like full of hair. I mean, beard and a whole shebang. Maybe I don't know. Instead of putting him into bassinet, they take him to the barber. I mean, his name was Harry. So that's what, that's what Esau means. It means Harry. And then it says afterwards, I'm telling you, God's got a sense of humor. Afterwards, it says in verse 26, his brother comes out. Okay, so there's twins. And the first one out is is, is Esau, and it says in verse 26 that afterward his brother came out and his hand took a hold of Esau's heel, so he was called Jacob. You imagine seeing this, seeing his hairy little kid come out and there's a hand sticking out, grabbing onto his heel. And so they, called, they called him Jacob, and they could have called him, You little rascal, you. You're grabbing a hold of your brother's heel. But the word Jacob really does mean trickster. It means supplanter, it means a conniver, a deceiver. He was slick. In other words, they had twins, slick and hairy. (laughs) And and this is what what God chose to work through. And And it says, I'm telling you, it says in verse 27, the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. Esau was a skillful hunter, well, duh, he just kind of bled it in with the deer, Right? He just kind of walks out there and grabs them because he looked like one of the, I don't know. He's a skillful hunter. He, he blended into his landscape. Yeah, I'm telling you, God does these things. But you know what? Jacob certainly lived up to his name. You see, Jacob, in verse, or chapter 25 of Genesis, he, he talked his older brother out of his, his birthright over a bowl of soup. He wanted the inheritance and a special blessing that belonged to the older son. In in Genesis 27, he tricked his dad who was on his deathbed. His dad was on his deathbed. He could hardly see. And the the tradition of that day was before the the father passed away, he would would have a special blessing on the firstborn. And Jacob wasn't the firstborn, and yet he tricked his dad. He says, Dad, I I want the blessing. And the account is there, and he says, Boy, you sound like you're saying you're Esau, but you sound like Jacob. And he says, come here. Well, he had already put a goatskin over his arm, and, and, he, and he touched him, and he's like, yep, you feel like, you feel like the, the furry one. And he's thinking, well, and so he ended up blessing him. He, he, tricked, he tricked his brother out of his birthright. He was very shrewd as he tried to get his way, and essentially, you see, Jacob was very self-centered. He did whatever it took to get ahead in life. Which is really the philosophy of many people in our society. Look out for number one. We live in a survival of the fittest world, do we not? Where where you have to where where you you do whatever it takes to get ahead. You you gotta you gotta play your cards right. You have to be smarter, you have to be faster, you have to be smoother, you have to be stronger, you have to try harder, you have to you have to outperform the competition. Whatever it takes to stay alive, And, and friends, that's the approach that Jacob had to his life. He, he would work the system. Whatever he had to do, and he wanted to call the shots in his life, and he wanted to chart his own course, and he wanted to be in control. He had all of his life problems figured out. He could come up with solutions. That's just the kind of guy he was. He had strategies, and he had plans for everything, but this approach was coming to an end. You see, after Jacob deceived his dad and essentially stole his brother's inheritance, Esau was livid. He was so mad. He said, that that brother of mine he's going to be dead I'm going to kill him he was so mad at his younger brother and so so Jacob hears catches wind of this and he and Jacob gets out of Dodge I mean he's like I'm out of here I got to save my skin and so he goes and he lives with his uncle Laban in a in a distant country and and he spends the next 20 years of his life over by his uncle Laban and he he gets married and he has kids and and he ended up having he ended up having 12 12 sons these are the 12 tribes. Okay. We read this historically throughout the Word. And so he establishes this family, but he, had a, he was unsettled in his spirit, and he knew that he was in a place that he didn't belong. He knew that he was in a place that he, he couldn't stay at. And, and deep down, he knew that God had a plan for his life, but it wasn't to be fulfilled there. It was to be fulfilled from where he took off from. And so, so this is what he was, he was wrestling with. And, and deep down, he, he, he was preoccupied with increasing his wealth, and he knew he had purpose in life, but... And and he knew that purpose was found in a walk with God, but it would take faith. And it would take trusting God and and following his word. And this is what Jacob really struggled with. He wasn't just willing to let go of control and say, God, I'm going to yield. I'm going to surrender to your lordship. I'm going to allow you to direct my life. But as Jacob's wealth was growing, we read in Genesis 31 and verse 3 that the Lord uh, appears to, to Jacob or speaks to him and says, return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. And so Jacob sets his mind on, okay, God's, God's not done with me yet. I haven't blown it too far. That God still has a plan. And, he's, and we see that he starts making preparations to go back to this land that was promised to Grandpa Abraham and Isaac, his dad had told him about. But you know who else is there? Is his brother Esau the one who hated him 20 years ago. And this made Jacob pretty nervous. Like, what am I coming into? What am I coming back into? And and so he started really getting nervous, and and, and God was trying to get his attention. And and it's recorded in Genesis chapter 32 of, of coming to this place that God wanted him to be, but fear of what might happen was gripping his mind. His future was on the line. What if my brother kills me? What if he takes my family hostage? What if he does this? And and he's just filled with these fears and anxieties of these what ifs. What about my future? What about my family? You see, his faith was on the line. And and it was that night, and he separated himself from his family. They, They went on ahead a little bit, and he's by himself. And he gets this visitation from a man. So he's all alone, and he gets his visitation, and he discovers this was not a regular human being, but it was God himself. Now you might say, what do you mean God himself? Well, we know that Jesus took on flesh and dwelt among us, starting in Bethlehem, right? But Jesus always existed. And there's times in the past that Jesus did manifest himself in the Old Testament before he came to birth as a baby. There were some some visitations. This is just one of them. There's a few of them recorded in Scripture. And so this is one of those times that the pre-incarnate Jesus came to him. But friends, this wasn't a typical visitation. You see, we have images of Jesus carrying a little lamb and being really gentle. At this time, when Jesus visited Jacob, he tackled Jacob. Jesus tackled Jacob. You know what's in the Bible? Jesus tackled somebody. And he, and he starts to wrestle with him. You see, friends, picture this. Jacob is freaking out. Everything's on the line. He's nervous. He's anxious. It's the night before. He's ready to go forward. And all of a sudden, some dude comes out of nowhere and tackles him. So he's thinking, I'm dead meat. I've got to fight for my life. Maybe it was somebody sent from his brother. He didn't know. But he starts wrestling with this guy. And, and we don't know if they were like literally throwing punches. I don't know. That seems a little odd to think. Throwing punches. It was Jesus? I mean, I don't know. I've just, they wrestled. Or was it just like you pinned somebody down, you know, when you're wrestling with your sibling when you were a kid and you would kneel on their arms, you know what I mean? And you kind of bounce on their chest, right? I don't know. They were wrestling, and this went on for hours. And as they're wrestling, it hits Jacob. This is no ordinary man. I'm wrestling with God. There's something different here. And the account is found in chapter 32, because this was going on for hours. In verse 24, it says, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, meaning God the Lord touched the the socket of his hip of Jacob's hip and the socket of Jacob's hip went out of joint as he wrestled with him and he said let me go for the day breaks but Jacob said I will not let you go unless you bless me and so he said to him what is your name and he said Jacob and he said your name shall no longer be called Jacob but Israel for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. And so from that day forward, Jacob walked with a limp because his, his hip was out of socket. And, and so, so God changed his walk. But you see, Jacob got desperate. He got desperate. He said, I'm done doing life my old way. I'm getting tired of being my own God. I'm tired of calling the shots. I'm tired of being a manipulator. I'm tired of being a deceiver. I'm tired of of wanting to to, to make things come my way. I'm done being a conniver. The Word of God says in in Hosea chapter 12, it looks back at at this episode, and God was speaking through the prophet Hosea, and it says, as Jacob struggled, he wept, and he sought favor from the Lord. He he was weeping. Why did he weep? Well, one he was in pain. I don't know if you ever had your hip come out of socket, or 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 or, you know our bodies are meant to stay together. So he was in pain. But friends, I would also suggest because it was the intensity of his desire to be blessed by God. He's like he was getting desperate. He said, "God, I'm not going to let go of you. I don't want to move forward in my own strength anymore." I totally want to rely on you, and, 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 and God changed me. And you see, friends, desperation in the presence of God changes us, just like it changed Jacob. And the Lord said to him, No longer will you be called Jacob, but Israel, which means God rules. And so he not only got his name changed, but his walk. And so what about our walks? Have we allowed God to, to, to do what he wants? When we cling to God in desperation, he will change us. And all of us, like Jacob, need to be willing to admit our need to Jesus. He wants complete surrender of every facet of our life, surrender of our old methods of trying to make things happen on our own, our own ingenuity, our own, our, our own strategies. You see, when you battle with God, you only win by losing and by not giving up until you know that you have lost. And so like Abraham Jacob got a new name, and when he, got a, when he got a greater revelation of who God is, and again, once we get a revelation of who God is, we will discover who we are. And it comes down to realizing the greatness of God, which, which brings us down to our third person I'd, look to, I'd like to look at briefly this morning, who got a change of name from God. The setting is in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. And this is with Jesus and his 12 disciples. It says in verse 13 of Matthew 16, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I am? And so they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So he's getting various responses. And friends, if we went door to door in our region and we asked people, we're taking a survey, who is Jesus? We'd get all kinds of responses as well, would we not? We would get all kinds of different responses if we went from church to church and said, who is Jesus? We get all sorts of different responses. You see, friends, revelation of Jesus is the greatest need of the church today. Revelation of the person of Jesus Christ is the greatest need in the church today. The greatest need. We need to be getting this revelation. So Jesus says to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? See, Jesus wasn't in, interested in, in just reproducing spiritual parrots who would repeat what other people said. In other words, he wanted to know, are you, are, who do you say that I am? Are you just going to take on to what someone else's vision of me is? Or, do you wanna, or, or, or am I something different to you? He wanted to know this. You see, friends, in the same way, this is something that we need to come to grips with. Who do we really believe Jesus is? You see, Jesus went on in his conversation. When he said, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And so Peter says, You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. You are, you're, you're, you're the one. And, and God put this revelation into the, the mind of Peter. And Jesus, I believe, he was a little bit taken back by this. And he looks at him and, and he's like, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. You didn't, you didn't read this in a book, you didn't read this at a, at a, at a, at a, by attending church. You didn't come to this realization by by going to a conference. You didn't come to this by watching YouTube videos. He said, what you have received is something by my Father. My Father, by His Spirit, released this profound revelation to you. And because you got a revelation of my name, I am now going to change your name. Because, Because you discovered who I am, Now you can discover who you are. You see, friend, that's the order. Simon was changed to Peter when he got a revelation of who Jesus is. You see, the best advice we can give somebody who's trying to find themselves, we hear that expression, just trying to find myself. The best advice we can give is, if you want to find out who you are, pursue Jesus, and you will not only find him, but you will find yourself. You see, we find ourselves in Christ. Written to Christians, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. In chapter 3, and verse 3, he said, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In other words, friends, the real you is hidden in Christ. Let that sink in a little bit. The real me is found in Christ. If I want to find myself, I can look anywhere on this planet, but I won't find it until I look and I find myself in Christ. He said our lives are hidden. You see, we live in an identity crisis and a calling crisis. Who am I? What's my calling in life? We get, I hear that all the time, friends. The answer to both is found in receiving revelation of the risen Christ. When, we've, when we have a revelation of who Jesus is, we not only discover who we are, but why we are. It's found in Him. He, he is life. On the rock, I will build my church, he said. On the revelation of who I am, he said, I'm building everything. But it all comes from revelation. It doesn't come from reading a book, it doesn't come from the latest and greatest strategies. it doesn't come from a top ten list. It comes from a revelation without seeing the greatness of our Lord, we're just doing religious routines and and, and he's saying when when this revelation when we have a, when an ongoing revelation of Jesus and what he accomplished and, and what he has has purpose for us. When that's our focus, even the gates of hell will not prevail against us. He's like, Pursue me, pursue me. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 5, the apostle writes, He, or who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This belief, this belief comes through revelation of the Father. By the Spirit, like Peter received. And friends, this ought to be the daily experience for each and every one of us that we receive an ongoing revelation of Jesus. More, Lord, more. Give me a greater understanding. We become overcomers by trusting the Word of God, like Abraham did. When we say, God, everything in my life isn't really adding up to the way your Word says, but I'm going to stand in your Word, I'm not going to create a new theology or excuses or doctrine based on my experiences, I'm going to pursue your heart. So if you don't answer my prayer according to the way your word says, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to flush it. I'm not going to walk away from it. I'm not going to say you are unfaithful. I'm going to pursue. And instead of pursuing answers, I'm going to pursue you. And the answer will come. But I'm going to pursue you with intensity. And I'm going to trust that you know what you're doing on your own timeline. When we become overcomers, we, like Jacob, we come to the end of ourselves and our own efforts to make things happen. We say, God, I am done trying to fight this battle. I'm done trying to make things happen. I'm done trying to, to, to be my own boss and to be the fix-it and the, and the one who, who sees my own destiny come to pass by my own efforts. When we say, Jesus, I need you, increase my desire for a greater revelation of who you are. In the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the very last book in the Bible, in chapter 2, and verse 17, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. There's nourishment. And he said, I will give him a white stone, and on that stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Our name is changed to identify with our bridegroom. I ask you would bow your heads with me, please. Father, we thank you for this word that speaks of name changes, promises, different walks of life. Lord, that none of us would want to keep our maiden or our birth names. But that we would take on your name and your identity. Your identity as an overcomer. We just sang about this just a few minutes ago. That we would be able to commit our spirits into your hands. One that thinks like you, one that that talks like you, one that acts like you, we are yours. We count it an honor and a privilege to bear your name. Changes from the inside out. Not from the outside in. We don't want to just modify our behaviors. We ask that you would change our hearts, change our belief systems. We know that the truth is what makes us free. So, what I pray that each and every one of us would just grab a hold of this reality that you want to do a work in us so much greater. You want us to find ourselves and, and we are found in you. What an amazing plan. What an amazing God. And we thank you. We thank you, we thank you. In Jesus' name.